0: Want to say again to the church, thank you. And uh, can't really express that enough. Most of the time, you go to a meeting like this, and there's at least one uh, bad attitude in the church, and uh, you just find out real quick, stay away from them. And if you're here, I hadn't found you yet. So thank you, uh, smiles, and everybody's seen if you need anything. It means a lot. So thank you, and thank you, preacher, for letting us come. And all the messages have helped me, except the ones I've preached. <laughs> <clears throat> And uh, last night, Brother Mears, thank you, that, I don't know, there he is, he moved back some. Amen, it was good, it helped me, and uh, convicted me for sure. Matthew 16, if you will, Matthew 16, I'll try to just uh, bunt or something and get on base, and then I'll get out of the way as quickly as I can, and uh, we'll let the other guys come up and preach to you. I'll try to give you just a thought or two and move. Matthew 16, <clears throat> and we'll start reading in verse 13 Matthew 16 in verse number 13 <clears throat> When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying who do men say that I whom do men say that I the son of man am And they say, said some say thou art John the Baptist some Elias and others Jeremiah or so one of the prophets <clears throat> From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. But those that be of men You find in chapter 16 uh, Jesus is taking somewhat of a census And he is asking his disciples who men say that he is And uh, you notice the disciples, they respond by saying Some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Elijah Some say John the Baptist or one of the other prophets And so there's a controversy as to who Jesus was Some said one thing, others said another thing I'd say to you that Jesus was and still is the most controversial man that's ever lived. And uh, he said, you think I've come to bring peace on the earth? I've really came to bring a sword. I'm coming, I'm going to separate mothers and daughter-in-laws and father and and son-in-laws and those kind of things, families divided, spouses, siblings, nations. And we can see that in this chapter. And then he turns to his disciples and he said, who do you, who who do the disciples say that I am? And of course, Peter speaks up that great confession of faith, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. When he said that, Jesus addressed him as Simon Barjona. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he said, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. then you find a little bit later on, Jesus begins to teach his disciples how he's going to have to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer many things and be killed. And then in verse 22, the Bible said, then Peter took him, began to rebuke him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. I want you to notice in these verses, the Bible talks about Simon, the Bible talks about Peter, and the Bible talks about Satan. And it seems almost as if Jesus is speaking about three different people, however, there's only one. This one person is Simon, he is also Peter, and he is Satan, all in the same individual. And I want to look at those names very quickly and then just try to give you a thought that has helped me. And so he calls him Simon. Verse 17, blessed art thou Simon Barjona. The word Simon is making reference to that which is unstable. Uh, Unstable, that's what the word means. The name Simon, it means it's referring to sand, something that's unstable, that's shifting. And so Jesus calls him Simon because Peter was, uh, he was unstable. And uh, one minute we see Peter walking on the water. The next minute we find him sinking. One minute we see, you know, we hear Jesus, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. The next it's get thee behind me, Satan. His, his whole life is like a roller coaster of ups and downs. I, I can identify with that. I think we all can. And uh, we're unstable just like sand. You remember Jesus talked to man, about the man that built his house upon the sand in Matthew 7 and verse 26. He said, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine... And doeth them not should be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The winds come and the storms come and the house crumbled down because the foundation was not stable. The foundation he had built on sand. And that's the way Simon was. He was unstable. He's up and he's down, and he's up and he's down. I love to study the characters in the Bible. I think it does us good to do that, to see the kind of people that God used. It helps me. It encourages me when I see these people. It gives me hope because the Bible, unlike we are, the Bible tells it just like it is. Someone said man would never have written the Bible if he could, and he couldn't write it if he would. You know, it's something we just wouldn't put the things in there that are in there because the Bible tells it like it is, the good and the bad and the ugly and all the in-between of that. We read about Elijah, one minute Elijah's praying down fire and prophesying that it won't rain in the middle of this great revival, and then just very shortly after that, he's hiding from Jezebel under a juniper tree praying that God would kill him. And then we find, you know, David one minute, he's killing a lion and a bear and he's throwing a stone and then he chops the head off of Goliath and always pictured him just going down through the street with that head and uh, you do that on TV and it gets you in trouble and uh, carrying that head of Goliath and then you read about him very, uh, 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 in another place and he's on the rooftop spying out Bathsheba, committing adultery and having Uriah killed. You read in your Bible, Jeremiah one minute is preaching with boldness, thus saith the Lord. The next thing you find him there, he said, I'm not going to talk about him anymore. I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to mention his name. I'm done with this. One minute you find Job saying, he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I know that my Redeemer liveth those great statements. Then the next minute, it seems like Job is saying, woe is me. I've I've said things I don't understand. Almost like Job, when he's talking sometimes to me, seems like a schizophrenic. You, you hear about the schizophrenic, the man that used to be schizophrenic? He said, we're, we're all doing better now. <laughs> anyway, that encourages me. Encourages me when I read that. I need to know that God can use men who are just men. I need to know that God can use people who live in a real world and make mistakes and that are not perfect. I need to know that God can use people even after they've failed and fallen on their face and messed up royally. One minute we see Simon up, thou art the Christ. The next minute down, standing by the fire, denying that he even knew Jesus. Then later we see him at Pentecost, standing with boldness and preaching and thousands saved. What a man. That that encourages me to see that God can use people who have the same problems, struggles, issues, all of those things I have. God can use real people in a real world that don't always live on the mountain, that don't always act like everything's rosy, that don't always make good or right decisions, and don't always do the right thing. It's easy for me to see how Jesus could call him Simon. You're like the sand. You're unstable. You're up and you're down and you're in and you're out and you're off and you're on. I can understand. Does that remind you of anybody else? <laughs> I know they're not here this morning, but if that other church down the road was here, we could, we could preach to somebody. You've, you've probably seen somebody today who fits that description. It was the one when you brushed your teeth, you saw them looking back at you unstable on the mountaintop one day and the next day just lower than you could ever imagine in your life notice he not only calls him simon but he also in verse 18 he calls him peter i say also unto thee that thou art peter the word peter you know it means rock a solid rock and so he's gone from being simon which is sand to peter a solid rock jesus your memory, he asked the disciples who do you say that i am and peter was the one who spoke up and he said thou art the christ You're you're the, you know, the others are silent, by the way. They said nothing. Can I I just take a time out, just real quick, move over here and say something? One of the greatest things that are plaguing our churches today is silence. Nobody wants to say anything. Nobody wants to rock the boat or disturb the waters. Nobody wants to do it. You read about the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and you study that out. When he'd go into a city, the first place that he would go to is the synagogue, And you'll find you think Paul persecuted about a lot of things. Paul wasn't persecuted because of what he said you had to do. Paul was persecuted because of the things he said you don't have to do. That's what seemed to get him in trouble. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to observe certain days and weeks. You don't have to refrain from eating these meats that have been offered to idols. You're you're not justified by your works or your goodness or your obedience to the law. It's all about Jesus. That's what Paul got in trouble with. And when he goes into town, it wasn't long before an entire city's in an uproar and they accused him of being troublemakers. They said, these men do exceedingly trouble our city. They're, they're troublesome. Paul didn't cause an uproar by being a good old boy or tiptoeing through the tulips and trying to make everybody happy uh, because he wasn't afraid of controversy, because he wasn't concerned with public or even religious opinion. Paul just, and, or what the brethren think. Amen. It's okay to say amen. I think we're in all right company. If God's going to use you, you're going to have to come to the place where you really don't care what people say or think. Where you die to opinion, but you're going to do right regardless. And uh, Paul spoke up and spoke out. Most people before they speak, you know, they want to See which way the wind's blowing so they can find out what everybody's going to think. Preachers are afraid to state what they believe until they know what kind of crowd they're in. And, uh, you know, don't want to ripple the boat. Somebody might not have me preach or whatever. And so we're silent. Church members are silent. Can I just say to the church here, I know many won't be here until tonight, but if you see your pastor being hurt or any other church, you see your pastor being hurt, you need to be a sheepdog. Speak up and speak out and stand up for something. If you see he has a need or his family has needs, need, speak up and say something. Uh, you can't leave it to him. I, I'm a pastor. I'll never, Brother Mears mentioned the other day, I'm never going to ask for something for myself. I don't do that at our church. If we do without, I'll just do without. But if you see something, speak up about it. Anyway, that's not the message. I understand we'll give an account for every idle word we say, but I believe we'll give an account for what we don't say. So Peter's the only one who spoke up. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Uh, Peter, I haven't taught you this or shown you this, yet you know who I am. My Father has revealed this to you. Now I can understand why Jesus would call him Simon, unstable. I can understand why he would call him... Peter, a rock, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, upon this rock, that confession of faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm not going to build my church with sissies, Peter. I'm not going to build them with wimps or pansies or weaklings. I I need somebody that's stable to help build this church. And uh, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hold the fort. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll get kicked out of here for that real quick. Lord, help us. A lot of people take that verse to mean that hell's going to charge the church, but if you look at it, Jesus said the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it, the church. And so it's the church that's charging hell. It's the church that's on the advance. Like a football game, we're on their end of the field rushing toward their end zone. The gates of hell won't be able to stop that. I say praise the Lord. We're not on the defensive. We're on the offensive. Now, don't miss this. This, at least to me, was big enough and powerful enough to change my life. Look at verse 20 in Matthew 16, if you will. Verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things. Jesus said, I've got to suffer. The Bible tells us that he was made perfect through suffering. Suffering in the will of God. You're never going to be used of God apart from suffering. I know we don't like to think about that. It's just not going to happen. I believe it was Tozer who said, God never uses a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. And uh, you're going to have to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings before you can understand anything about the power of that resurrection. We give our children everything we can the best, best clothes, and best food, and the best schooling, except for the things that made us what we are, and that's suffering. We don't want our children to suffer. I remember my wife and I were first married. We were so poor, we couldn't even pay attention. And uh, I t- <laughs> told the church, I said, we, we had to spell poor with three O's. We had nothing. <laughs> we didn't have any money. We did without some things. We ate for years just praying, God, please let something be in the couch cushion so we can go get frozen pizzas or something. <laughs> we did what we did to, ha- to make it. It taught us how to survive. It taught us something about faith early on. We hadn't been saved long. It seemed like parents today, we don't want our kids to suffer. We don't want them to do without. We, you know, the thought of kids doing without seems to send them into a panic nowadays. And we've taught them everything except those things that make people what they are. Amen. Jesus told his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now watch it. The Bible said, then Peter took him, began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Listen to what Jesus said. He turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. It's interesting. He refers to him as Simon, then as Peter, and now as Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. I can understand Simon, unstable, sand. I can understand Peter like a rock. But now Satan? Why would Jesus refer to this great disciple as Satan? Please don't miss this. Simon Peter was trying to talk Jesus out of the cross. Are you listening? Be it far from thee Lord, this shall not be unto thee. He tried to talk him out of his cross. The disciples, they had accepted Jesus as Messiah, the anointed one. They believed that Jesus was going to come and sit on the throne. He'd redeem Israel. He'd restore the glory. The kingdom's going to be ushered in. They believed all that. As a matter of fact, they've just been arguing and bickering about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to sit on his right hand. And Here are these big strong men and they say, go get mommy to go ask Jesus which one, if we can sit on either side of him. I've always found that funny and uh, by the way that bickering encourages me I get encouraged by weird stuff because even in Jesus's church among his followers there was arguing and politicking and strife and all those things that go on where Jesus was the pastor one of them was the devil anyway so I hear about all this mess in church and some forsake you and some leave and some backslide and some go as far as betrayal it can encourage me a little bit because it happened to Jesus makes me in his company for a change anyway The disciples had accepted him as the Christ, but when Jesus began to talk to them about Calvary and about suffering and about dying, the Bible says they understood none of these things. What's he talking about? Death? What does he mean by suffering and dying? They didn't have a clue. They're waiting for their crown. They're waiting for their glory and their crown, but what they failed to realize is there never will be a crown without their first being a cross. And they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, but they didn't understand that being the greatest would deal with suffering. Peter tried to talk Jesus out of his cross. Peter tried to encourage Jesus to walk away from his cross, from the suffering, the pain, the dying. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. He called him Satan. Why? Look at the next verse, verse 24. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. How many are still here? Amen. Amen. Good. Jesus said, not only do I have a cross, not only do I have an appointment with suffering, not only do I have an appointment with pain and death, but you have the same appointment as well. You've got that appointment. That is if you're going to come after me. If you're going to follow me, you've got that appointment with pain. If you're going to be my disciple, you've got an appointment with your own cross. And take up his cross, implying that your cross may not be mine and mine may not be yours. It's for you. It's tailor fit." One thing's for sure, we all have one. We're all going to carry a cross if we're going to be his disciples. We've got an appointment of suffering. I don't know what yours may be. It could be a husband. It could be a wife that's causing you. Don't say amen, man. Sometimes you say amen. Sometimes you just, in your heart. Could be a child. Could be a friend. Might be physical, emotional, fine. I don't know. But I promise that somewhere in your life there is a point of suffering. If not yet, buckle up. I I really have a gift of encouragement. (laughs) You can be assured that it's Satan that's speaking when someone speaks into your ear telling you to run from your cross. You know it's Satan talking to you. Then You know it's Satan when something is telling you to turn your back from that cross and walk away from it. That's our first reaction. It's natural. We want to run from suffering. But we know it's Satan when that voice is telling us, contrary to what the Bible says, this is too hard. This will cost you too much. This isn't necessary. You don't deserve to go through these things. Problems rise up in the church, and usually that's when people say, preacher, God told me to leave. I've prayed about it, and I'm going to run from my cross. I refuse to suffer. God told me, preacher, to leave my husband or leave my wife because I'm not supposed to suffer. We're supposed to be happy all the time. God told me to quit my job because he wants me happy. Pastor, I've, I've prayed and, and I'm going to leave because this is all too difficult for me. I'm telling you, when you hear that voice whispering in your ear, this is too much for you. You're not able to handle it. Walk away from your cross. You don't have to put up with all this. Just walk away. I know I'm not talking to anybody here today. If that other church was here, Man. Walk away from your cross. You're not supposed to suffer. Just leave it there. You remember Satan tried to talk Jesus out of the cross? I think he realized how much he messed up. Let's crucify him. Then he gets up there and, oh, no, we really messed up. Save thyself and come down. If it's really you, come down off the cross. He tried to talk Jesus out of the cross. Jesus walked towards his cross. He set his face like a flint to go towards that place. I I know and understand he prayed, but he was resigned to do his father's will. I know he said not, you know, I, I don't really if this cup could pass from me, I'd love for that to happen, but he's resigned to do what God had sent him here to do. I know he despised the shame of the cross, but he went willingly. You say, you know, willingly, if you were trying to keep the Romans from arresting you and killing you, and a man that's going to betray you leaves the upper room, why would you go to the very place that he knows you would go to? You say, what do you mean? The Bible said Judas also which betrayed him knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Jesus is not trying to get out of this, he's trying to get into it. Judas leaves from, he's not trying to hide, he's not trying to run away. Judas knows where Jesus goes to pray after supper. Judas goes to get the enemy, and Jesus goes exactly where he knows Judas is going to bring the men to arrest him to. You say, why would he do that? Because he came to die on the cross. He came to carry that cross. That's what he said, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. This is why I'm here. You remember how Esau, we won't go there, but he gave up everything that had been promised for some pottage, for some beans. Don't put your cross down for beans. It's not worth it. What a trade. I'm telling you, church, if Jesus doesn't come soon, there'll be so many people that will get saved in this place. Or in the church you go to the next 10, 15, 20 years, there's so many lives that are going to get right with God in this place. There'll be so many shouts of joy and songs of praise in this place, and you could miss every one of them if you trade it all for some beans to leave the suffering and get rid of the sorrow you leave because you're hurting now stick it out endure your cross and when people are criticizing you who don't know what they're talking about and have no idea the deep waters you're in and they come and quote verses to you that don't make sense to them or you when you're praying and it seems like it's no higher than the ceiling go ahead and despise the shame but don't quit don't you quit. Don't put down the cross that God has given you because what Esau gave up to get out of momentary displeasure was the worst trade that's ever been made in the history of the world. Esau could have been one of the patriarchs, and he gave it all up because he was hungry. He was, dis- he was uncomfortable. We see young men and young women who give up everything that Jesus has for them in order to get out of some momentary displeasure from their father or their preacher or whoever. It's a, it's a horrible decision i got a lot of young people here. I'm telling you, young ladies trade everything God has for them, a godly place of Christian service, a, a wonderful husband, a pure and clear conscience, and a great family. They give it all up because right now my mom's bugging me. Come on. What a terrible decision. I, I, we have people leave our church. You probably don't have that. I tell him, Brother Scott, the other day, I said, if they just get over that little t- temper tantrum thing that they're having going, you know, they got going on right now, in almost no time at all, the preacher be preaching just as good as he ever was. The church would be just the one as wonderful as it ever was. And they'll say, thank God I didn't give all of this up because I didn't want to come to deal with something that was going on in this present moment. Jesus suffered so much more than we can comprehend. And then there's the What we really can't comprehend, those three hours of darkness when he was alone there, he had to be forsaken of his father, and when he cries for help and no help came, and that eternity of wrath and suffering and judgment poured out on Jesus as he hung on that cross, and the Bible said he was alone in the world without hope and without God. Do you understand that? They've been fellowship for all of eternity. And when he took your place, he separated from his father in the darkness and the wrath of God, suffering eternal vengeance against sin. And when he cries for help, no help came. When he cries for mercy, there is no mercy. He took your place alone, absolutely alone, broken and cut off from his father, separated not because of his sin but mine and because of yours. You can cry out to God for help and it's right there. He's quick to come and help you. You've never deserved help a day in your life, but it's available to you. Jesus is the only one who ever deserved it. When he cried out, God stopped his ears, and you can hear him on the cross. Father, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? God, we've been to God. I'm your darling son. I'm your beloved. Where are you? And no. And so I say that to say, I I understand, please, I'm not making light of what Jesus suffered. Please don't think that. I'm not downplaying the grief and the sorrow and the shame and the pain that he endured. I'm not. But from Calvary all the way back into eternity past, it's just rolling over into eternity. And then from Calvary all the way into the future, as far as you can see, it just rolls over into eternity. And Jesus Christ, the one who sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, he said, you know what? As horrible as all of this is, it's just a few hours out of forever. It's just a short time out of forever. I can do this. And I'll say something to you. You, you, what, What if your church does fall apart? What if your marriage does, what if that wife does run off or that husband does run off? What if your loved one doesn't get healed and doesn't get well? What if your kid stays in the pig pen and never comes home? God, 40 years out of forever, I can handle this. If you'll help me, I can handle this. Don't let anyone talk you out of your cross. You might understand what I'm talking about. Why would Satan encourage you to walk away from your cross? And we all have them. Why would he do that? Why would Satan whisper in your ear that the grass is greener on the other side? Now, it might not be the time for this. The greenest grass on all of our property is over the septic tank. Anyway. (laughs) Amen. Why would Satan whisper to you that the grass is greener over there? Because he knows that when you're walking away from your cross, you're also walking away from your crown. You leave your cross, you leave your crown. You leave the suffering and the pain behind, you leave your crown. You leave your cross behind, you've lost your reward that comes along with it. We've all got an appointment with suffering and death. What what do you think Paul meant when he said, I'm crucified with Christ? I'm dead. I'm nailed to the cross. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth liveth in me. Please hear what I'm going to say. You won't know anything about resurrection until you know something about the cross. You won't know anything about resurrection power until you know what it is to die. You've probably never had this thought. I have. Serving the Lord is killing me. Problems come, people lie on you that you love. I've never understood why people want to lie about me. If they you know, talk all the junk and all this stuff, all they have to do is hang around me for a while. They can talk the truth. It will be bad enough. <laughs> and there's the people who ought to stand with you, said they always would. They said they'd stand up for you, and then there's people that betrayed you, and they hang around them and fellowship with them, the ones who lied and tore you down and hurt you. Those fair weather friends that you thought were there for you and trouble comes and they're looking which way the wind's blowing, what's going to be easy for them. People in your church see you being mistreated and hurt and they just remain silent. I, I've been at this just a couple of years, not as long as many of you, but I'm not immune. It still bothers me. There's still part of me gets real angry and upset about it. It bothers my family. It bothers me that it bothers my family. Man, serving the Lord is killing me. I've said that before. Could I give you a news flash? That's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> you can't say Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. You can't say that until you first said I'm crucified with Christ. You can't even be his disciple until you're willing to pick up your cross and die. Die to criticism. Die to compliments. Die when people are shaking your hands saying, that is the best message I've ever heard in my life. Die when you hear the rumors going around, when you got the praise and the glory and die to, die to all of it. You've got to die to it all. God can't use you greatly until you die. You won't know anything about resurrection power until you die. I'll show you a strange truth. I'll get out of the way very quickly. It's, it's, uh, it's necessary. Matthew 26 If you want to go there, Jesus is in Gethsemane with his disciples. Judas has already covenanted with a, a chief priest to betray Christ and to be crucified. Look in verse 47 of Matthew 26. It's strange what I'm going to read to you. At least it was to me when I first saw it. Matthew 26 verse 47. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he. Hold him fast, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. Friend, friend. Why would he call him friend? Um, could I submit to you? Jesus was helping Je- Judas, rather, was helping Jesus get to his cross. When Judas brought Jesus closer to the cross, Jesus called him friend. When Peter tried to drag him away from the cross, he called Peter Satan. Simon Peter became an ambassador of Satan when he tried to talk Jesus out of the cross. What's your cross? What's your point of suffering and pain? You ever wanted to just run? Psalm 11, flee as a bird to your mountain. Just walk away. Before you do, just remember that when you walk away from your cross, you walk away from your crown. Some of you, instead of running away from your cross, you might want to deny yourself and take it up. Pick up your cross. You're going to have to get down in order to pick it up. That's the way up in God's economy. If you want to go up, you have to get down. Humble yourself. He'll exalt you in due time. Don't run away or you lose your crown. You know, you spend your whole life fighting it, you'll miss the blessing. Paul's thorn, he tried to fight it for a while, and then God said, no, I'm not going to take it away from you, but I'll give you grace. And what did Paul say? Most gladly, Gladly, therefore. Well, I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. Paul said, if this is what it takes, I'll thank God for the thorn. If it takes this pain to bring power in my life or to bring that power out of my life, Paul said, I'll glory in what God has allowed to happen to me. You ever ask God this question, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Could I say to you, he's not doing it to you. He did it to his son. Psalm said, all the waves and billows are gone over him. They're gone over Christ. He's not doing something to you. He's doing something for you. <clears throat> Romans 8, you know it. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow. Then He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is using that cross, that suffering, that sorrow, that pain to Conform us, mold us, shape us into the image of his son. Is that not worth it? Amen. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, Amen. fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Embrace your cross. Strangely enough, I'm not there yet, but I'm learning. I'm finding that my cross is my friend. I need him, I need it. Sometimes I want to sit it down, and I realize when I sit it down, that's what was holding me up. Embrace your cross. Because without the cross, there's no crown. Stand with me, if you would. Father, we need you. None of us enjoy suffering and sorrow and pain. But you said that in this world we shall have tribulation. That's the cross. But then there's the crown, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Would you help us today? Help your people. I don't know what folks are carrying here, Lord, but it's not in their life by accident or by coincidence. You knew it. You maybe even ordered it to make us more like Christ. Would you use this message to help people? And I pray you do whatever you'd like with it, Lord, and we'd submit to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.